everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Uh, it's the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to Sam Amick here momentarily. Your NBA Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com, or give them a call, 801-747-LEES. We're going to talk to Sam and uh, put a wrap on uh, this NBA season. And, uh, man, it's it's been a long one, Gordon. It sure has. And like we talked about with uh, with Locke and Bowler earlier this week, that the regular season would just be getting underway right about now Seems if things were normal yeah. and things have been anything but. Let's get to it. Austin, hit it. It's time for your NBA fix. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick, on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. All right, out to the T-Mobile special guest line we go. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. From The Athletic, he's our friend Sam Amick. And boy, Sam, what a what a long year this has been. No question, guys. Longest, you know, in, in NBA history, longest certainly in my career. Um, it's funny because then I, you know, I get home from the bubble the other day, and and you know, admittedly, you're you're trying to unplug a little bit, and then the the news just keeps coming. I mean, an active day today, obviously, with coaches getting hired and GM stepping down, and but uh, yeah, I mean, it's incredible to think that for me this season started on that trip to India with the Kings in Indiana, um, you know, where that just, it seems like it was two years ago and that was last October. So it's pretty wild. So you're still working, but it's good to be home. Yeah. I'm kind of splitting the difference. I mean, today's active. Um, I think in a few minutes here and I talk to, uh, I mean, we'll see, but I think I'm going to be talking to Daryl Morey and, Tillman Fertitta about Daryl's decision. So, see if any, you know, for the listeners who don't know, obviously the Rockets GM stepped down today. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the Tyron Lue thing. I was, I didn't work on that one, but the Clippers hiring him, but, but she certainly are just kind of making calls and tracking things. Sam, I, I absolutely we need to dig into that rocket stuff with you today. That's a that's a necessity. But before we move on to that, I, I do want to get your thoughts on on the bubble and your personal experience and uh, the NBA's guidance in in pulling something off that has never happened before. You were right in the middle of it, and and it's been great following along with you and checking in with you. But put a bu- put a wrap on the bubble experience for us. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of others have said. You know, first and foremost, give the NBA and the Players Union a lot of credit uh, for pulling it off. You know, and I don't think that people quite understand how bad of shape the league would have been in if they couldn't pull this off. You know, I've talked to people from the league about it in terms of like that hypothetical of what if the bubble 
fell apart two weeks in. Um, I just, I, I legitimately think that, you know, the future of the league might be in trouble, at least in terms of like the, you know, the, the place that it has carved out in sporting society, I guess. And, the type of business that they're used to doing. I mean, they've taken a massive hit because of the pandemic, but this was more than a Band-Aid. I mean, this was a, a big old, you know, kind of gauze pad that, that really helped stop the bleeding. So I give them credit. And then for me, I guess just more subjectively, um, it was mostly a great experience. I mean, work-wise, really happy I did it. It's funny, the timing of visiting with you guys today. I'm sitting in my garage. We're not, you know, now like kind of figuring out my new routine, my new rhythm. Um, so I was getting a little workout in, which is in the bubble that would be in the, the hotel gym or, or on the pickleball court. And so uh, as you guys called, I was opening the, uh, the newly delivered box of pickleball paddles that just showed up at my house. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so I'm taking a little, a little piece of the bubble home with me. And then try to to get a net set up and have fun with the, you know, our sons with that game. But I mean, it was it was a neat experience, and you know, and I do. I'm getting a little. Uh, I have a hard time when people, some people anyway, on social media and stuff are celebrating. You know, the NBA Finals ratings being down, and folks who who didn't necessarily like seeing Black Lives Matter on the court and didn't like the social justice messaging and. Uh, you know, I, I just that bothers me because I, for one, I mean, most sports other than the NFL are, are down ratings-wise pretty seriously anyway. So it's it's a narrative that you know I think says more about the person pretending that it's just the NBA than it does anything else. But beyond that, I, you know, I just I learned a few things about uh, it was it was neat to see a lot of people who who do have skin in the game and who did have something to lose uh, financially uh, be willing to do what they believe was the right thing even if it came at the expense of, you know, some of their business. Um, so, you know, that part I thought was substantive and memorable and, and hopefully makes a difference. Did that experience, Sam, create new relationships for you uh, that could be useful for you, but also just friendships and getting to know people a little better? And on top of that, did the players take advantage of that sort of situation and you think – relationships may have been cemented there as well. Yeah, I feel like there's layers to that. Like the players amongst each other, I think it definitely, you know, some teams bonded and got closer. And I think maybe some teams, you know, kind of learned that maybe they they weren't in in the greatest place chemistry-wise. And I think it almost, the bubble had a, you know, I think for everybody had a, almost a revealing effect. It kind of made you look at yourself. Like when I had a hard time in quarantine on the front end, when I just, I'll be honest with you guys, not to get too deep, but like I kind of learned that like, all right, I got a few control issues. I have a hard time when, when people tell me I can't go here and I can't go there. And so I didn't really enjoy quarantine. And then once I got out, I mean, the hotel was nice enough, but we were confined to a pretty limited space. And so it's just, there's an intensity with everybody, players, coaches, executives, media members, that it, it kind of made you look at yourself. But then it also, yeah, it definitely formed different bonds. Um, and for me, you know, I, I mentioned the pickleball. Like, it's weird to now count some NBA referees as people that I'm very friendly with. You know, like if I see Zach, if I if I see Zach Zarba in a bar uh, on the road next year, if we ever get back to those days where we're out and about, you know, I'm absolutely gonna go 
say hello and have a beer with them. Uh, I, I would not have done that before. You know, same thing with Scott Foster and Kane Fitzgerald and Eric Lewis. Um, you know, executives with the NBA, one guy, and I feel bad, I don't know his exact title, but he works in the basketball operations department for the NBA. Um, David Booth was a former player, a scout for the Pelicans, and just this guy that, like, I didn't get to know him that well, but he's like a wonderful kind of soul, and I, I thought he was always a nice guy to talk to. And then for what we do, I mean, one day, you know, I had actually hit up Adam Silver and said, hey, uh, you should roll by the pickleball court and say hello. And sure enough, he did. He was on a bike, uh, bike ride, and he came by. And, I mean, I know Adam pretty well, but in that kind of a setting, he comes by and we talked off the record for a half an hour. You know, um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it, there were parts of it that were a reporter's dream for sure. All right, Sam, let's talk about the Rockets a little bit today because I think that is a major, major story that has possibly been coming for a while. But uh, Daryl Morey steps down. What uh, What is your take on what's going on in Houston and where they go from here? Uh, well, I mean, they're they're promoting Rafael Stone, who about a year ago was their legal counsel, top attorney for the team, uh, has been increasingly involved in basketball operations, Um you know, I think took on the assistant GM title this year. So Rafael is the new GM of the Rockets. I mean, that's the move. There's not a search. Um, Rafael is the guy. And, you know, Daryl, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, again, I'd, I'll maybe have more answers in a few minutes here, but um, I'm surprised that he's stepping down at the end of the season when, you know, when everything went down with Mike D'Antoni. I know this much that Daryl was very disappointed with Mike's decision. Um, but I think I, I got the sense. I don't want to speak for Daryl, but like, I just kind of felt like, you know, Mike and Daryl had their relationship in a good place. Well, Mike and, and Tillman Fertitta, the Rockets owner did not. So if I was in Daryl's shoes, I guess I'll just put it that way. Like if I was Daryl, I would be disappointed, frustrated that, that, that I seemingly did my job and, and, you know, we should be able to bring this coach back, but he has feelings about the owner that, are an obstacle to that. Um, so that's kind of like the first time you looked at it and said, okay, I wonder if that was the beginning of the end for Daryl and the Rockets. Then you have the coaching search. Um, I've been hearing for a very long time that for years, for that Jeff Gundy was a real uh, favorite of Daryl's and a guy that he would love to bring in. And then you kind of see now that John Lucas, the assistant coach for the Rockets, who has a great reputation, appears to be a, a front runner for that job. So I'm curious, like, did, did Daryl have frustrations within this coaching search that maybe his powers were kind of getting usurped? I don't have clarity on to what degree, you know, Daryl's infamous tweet about, uh, you know, supporting Hong Kong and the protesters in relation to, you know, their conflict with China, what part that played. Because Tillman stood by Daryl during that time when they lost 20 plus million dollars, you know, in, in revenue because of the fallout. Um, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine it's not related at all, but I don't think that's the kind of front and center item here. There's other news about uh, Ty Lu being hired by the Clippers and uh, rumors about Stan Van Gundy uh, being a front runner in New Orleans. Uh, what do you make of those uh, items? Yeah, I mean, the Ty Lu one makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, obviously, he we thought he was going to get the Lakers job a year ago. You know, couldn't come to terms with the Lakers 
and he was, you know, Doc Rivers' right-hand man with the Clippers. Um, when the Clippers, you know, had a parting of the ways with, with Doc, you kind of thought right away that, you know, maybe they, they jumped on that decision because they didn't want to let Ty get away, you know, and he was getting pursued by Houston. He was getting pursued by Philly, pursued by New Orleans. And so part of me, I'd you know, be surprised if they can't get that deal done. Uh, you know, and obviously they did today. So that's, I mean, he was the guy with pole position. And, and I think with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, um, seemingly they have good relationships with Ty and this would not have been a good summer to try something just wildly different than Doc. So there's a comfort level there that I'm sure helped Ty's case and also a championship resume as a coach. So with Stan Van Gundy, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I mean, that I like Stan a lot. Um, I, I would see that as unorthodox. You know, Stan's been wanting to get back in. I had him on my podcast about a month ago, at, you know, asking him that question, do you want to get back in? And, and he seemed at the time like one of those kind of, you know, second-level candidates. He just wasn't getting talked about a lot. But he's an incredible basketball mind. It's always been a case of his ability to stay connected with his players. And I don't know. I, I feel like with Zion Williamson, doesn't mean that. I mean, this move very well might pay off and, and be a good fit if that's what they end up doing. But he kind of felt like with Zion, you're going to, you're going to have a candidate that comes as more of a, just to put it bluntly, with more of a player's coach identity. So uh, I'm curious to see if, if that's ultimately the move. Sam, uh, give us your thoughts and takeaways from the Utah Jazz season as a whole and what their offseason might look like. Yeah, I mean, really good season, and you feel for them because you run into a Denver team where it's just wildly entertaining basketball, where they have nothing to be ashamed of, um, but you know couldn't ultimately get the job done. And obviously up three one, and that's painful. Uh, I, I we've talked about it before. I mean, I like their core, you know. And, and is you know, is Donovan going to sign an extension? Is Rudy going to get an extension? You know, what do you do with Bogdanovich? Um, so I like the core, but they, you know, they're one of those teams that because they didn't get nearly as far as they wanted, you got to you got to talk to teams about every, you know, anything and everything. The Mike Conley move kind of had mixed results. And, you know, and I think uh, nothing surprises me in today's NBA. So, you know, while I give a big thumbs up to their effort and, and the type of basketball they play, I think you'd be naive if you didn't, you know, acknowledge that um, I think the Miller family is probably hoping for more. So I don't know what that means in the offseason or if they're just – there is part of me that would be surprised if they just run it back. I think there's going to be another another big wrinkle of some sort. I just don't know what it is. Do you think there will be blockbuster deals in this offseason, or mm-hmm. is it's just the fact that the season, the offseason is now going to unfurl the way with so many other kind of unusual things that uh, things will simmer down a little bit uh, between now and whenever the next season starts? No, I mean, I could see them ramping up. You know, I mean, you've got – you know, the situation in Philly, you know, what does Elton Brand want to do out there with his group? Um, you know, and, and really what, how does Doc see their roster? You know, are they going to continue forward with Joel and Ben and, and those guys? Um, you look at, 
even in my neck of the woods in Sacramento, his Buddy Hill situation, the Kings want to hold on to him, but you've got a really good shooter, one of the best three-point shooters in the game, you know, who might be available at some point. Doesn't appear to be right now, but uh, I can see movement. I just think that partly because the activity got shut down for the most part from like March to, you know, to June, um, even farther than that. So I could see it ramping up. I just, I don't know what form that takes. You know, the Pacers with Victor Oladipo is another situation to watch as he gets closer to free agency. Um, just trying to run. I mean, he, honestly, with the Daryl Morey news, and I just don't have clarity on this, I don't know. I mean, what's James Harden thinking right now? You know, the guy who traded for him and the guy who designed that whole offensive system around him is gone. And then the coach that he definitely was on the same page with is also gone. So, you know, could there be, you know, a blockbuster there? Um, again, not not sure yet. These are just unanswered questions. We talked a, a lot about these sorts of things with you last week, but we saw news today that uh, the NBA and NBA PA agree to extend their deadline to serve notice on terminating the collective bargaining agreement, and it appears like both sides uh, appear to be working well together still. Um, how, uh, I guess, how monumental are some of these things to get next season back up and going? How much work is there to be done? Yeah, I mean, they just got to agree on the on the, the revenue split and on, you know, and figure out what the cap's going to be. And it's just, it's a rewriting of the rules, so to speak. And it's got to be done in the kind of way that is conducive to both sides. So I think they'll get it done in the next week or two. Uh, I'd be shocked if they don't. And I think they'll be on their way. I mean, both sides have been pretty clear that there's not much, if any, concern about a work stoppage or any, you know, either side digging in. Uh, they both there's like this recognition that these are extraordinary times and and they need to treat this thing more like partners than they do foes and and like you said, Jake, they're still kind of using that uh that kind of that approach and that attitude, and I think they'll get it worked out. Sam, a team you're pretty familiar with through the years, the Warriors. I, I was talking with Jake, and I saw that the they're one of the favorites for next season, not at the absolute top, but they're among the favorites. Do you think the Warriors are going to just storm right back into the picture and be that competitive right off the bat? I think they'll get there for sure. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, selfishly for me, because I'm in Northern California, you know, I get another team that's a, a drive away instead of a flight that's, a, that's really worth watching if we're, in fact, able to go and do media. I mean, I think they're going to be good. They... Steph and Clay are going to come back with a chip on their shoulder because they have been forgotten. I mean, they've been almost completely forgotten. If you talk to people around the league um, and fans and just the conversation, you know, people have forgotten about the Warriors. And, and I get it. I know why. But, you know, Clay is the one. He actually put an Instagram video up today or yesterday where he was doing some track work outside and he was saying that he's like, man, all the respect to track and field athletes because this is a different kind of grind. He was, he was on a track somewhere just doing some serious sprinting work. And this kind of reminded you that this dude has been trying to make his way back for, I guess, uh, let's see, six, uh, I mean, you're talking 16 months at this point. So, 
you know, add a couple more to that, 18, 19 months later, he's going to be playing, you know, for something for real. And Draymond Green, I'm, I'm assuming he, he'll come back in really good shape. You know, and then it's the case of Andrew Wiggins and, you know, how does he fit in? And today, Arshan Sharania had an interesting little rumor, a tidbit about the Warriors being interested in Dwight Howard, which is something that they've explored in the past, like back before he was a minimum salary player, you know, and he had a good run with the Lakers. So he's not a, he's not a minimum guy anymore, but, you know, I don't know. I actually think that, say what you will about his personality, but I think, you know, maybe Dwight could be a good fit with the Warriors. So, um, yeah, I think they'll be they'll be good. It's just the West is loaded in general. The Nuggets aren't going anywhere. Um, you know, the Jazz aren't going anywhere. Blazers still have a good thing going. So, I would put the Warriors, you know, kind of in that that top three fold. Well, Sam, I know that uh, Jake feels this way. You may be a tad bit tired right now after a long, long season, a strange season. But it's been a pleasure having you on our show all year like it was in past years. And we appreciate uh, your contributions. We know our listeners really enjoy listening to you. So uh, thanks for doing it. And let me add this. The next time you're in Salt Lake City, if the weather is right, bring those uh, pickleball paddles because I've got mine right <laughs> here. I'm ready for you. Nice. So I'm on a, I like so. it. I like it, Gordon. I mean, guys, thank you. Uh, hopefully I was, you know, had, had fewer tired days than non-tired days. But <laughs> always enjoy talking to you guys, and we've been doing this for a long time now. So I appreciate you, too. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Sam. We appreciate you. Have a, have a great off season, whatever it may look like. You got it. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Gordon. That's our friend Sam Amick, uh wrapping up another year of uh, his appearance on the show, Gordon Weekly. And uh, he's he's tremendous at what he does. And this sure has been is. just such a wild season. And, you know, this goes for all our Daily Assist guests. But but they've been so great with us and continue to come on with us. And, and this, you know, the basketball may not have been being played in those, you know, April, May, June, July months, Gordon. But there were still stories every single day happening and I think it was extremely valuable uh, to have them continue to come on the show during it all, even though it was a, a few more appearances than they're used to. Uh, but I, I felt like all that information was all extremely valuable to the sports fan. And, man, they're great. I can't say enough about Sam. Yeah, yeah, Sam's terrific. All of them are. And we've had lunch with Sam. We've sat down. We've enjoyed time with him and had great discussions with him, both uh, involving basketball and outside of that. So, uh, yeah, Sam's just he's terrific. Can you imagine if you're at the bubble and Adam Silver is pedaling by? <laughs> and you just stand there and talk to him for half an hour? That's pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. For some reason, I, I can't picture Adam Sandler looking, or Adam Sandler, Adam Silver looking cool on a bike rolling around there in Orlando. Adam Silver doesn't look cool doing anything. So oh, come on, you guys are being too harsh. Or or maybe he, maybe you don't even know it's him. Maybe he's got the full suit and those that aerodynamic uh, helmet that's covered in spandex. <laughs> oh, he's one of those who takes it very he's seriously. Very into it. Very seriously. Yeah, I could see that. Or is it a big trike with a basket on the back? Of yeah, it? I don't. It's, it's one just, or the other. There's no cruising. in between. Yeah. I don't know. Would you try to hit a pickleball at him? <laughs> just for the story. Haven't you ever seen that? Uh, is it a football that that video online where somebody just picks off a bicyclist with a football? Have you no. ever seen that? Oh. Well, it's not, it wasn't very nice, but it's kind of funny. Huh. Oh, jeez! Would you <laughs> right right up your alley, right? That's Jake's sense of humor, right there. It's probably Jake that did it. 
Uh, I wouldn't do something like that, but I would laugh if I was there. Okay. You're more stick a broomstick through the front spokes type of Now guy. that's dangerous. <laughs> that's dangerous, sir. All right, we'll have more Big Show coming up next. Big thanks to Sam Amick for jumping on with us. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thanks for making us part of your day. Gordon, we didn't get to uh, this clip from Eric Weddle for what's going on, and it uh, it's really good. So we wanted to make sure we got to it on the show today. So we're going to play this. It's a couple minutes long. Uh, we've got the Not Sports Port coming up at 4.50. We've got Ashley Adamson of the Pac-12 Network at 5. Sounds various clips at 5.30. And Austin pays up on his incriminating audio at 5.50. And, and, we'll, survivor and we'll make our survivor pool picks. That first, the and then if there's time, incriminate yeah, audio. Well, we'll get it in, I assure you. Um, but let's get to this clip. Here's Eric Weddle. This is really good. He pulls back the curtain on contract negotiations in the NFL. That first contract you get as a rookie, obviously, um, you know, that it's great. And it's, you know, compared to the average American is, is, is awesome. But that second contract's where you can – really make your money when you sign that i mean what are the feelings like when you see some of those numbers and you see some of the guarantee i gotta imagine that's a that's a that's a weird feeling for a guy that was you know that you let's be honest you had a chip on your shoulder a lot of your career and 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 felt like you know everybody's kind of overlooking me and when you sign that i mean what what are the emotions going through your mind it's 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 surreal it's you you don't think it's real honestly you don't you think you're living in a dream. I mean, when I when I got drafted in 2007, Chanel and I had $220 to our name. $220 to our name. Married couple. She worked for the state of Utah. I was uh, I had left three four months earlier. J- January 1st, I flew out right after our game to go to train in Florida and do all that stuff. So we were apart, and literally, that was all we had. So I when I got drafted, <clears throat> my uh, you know, I, I signed for four years, I think five million, and my signing bonus was one point two. And from that, I think my the check I received was like six hundred and something thousand dollars. And I took a picture of it because I I didn't even know what to do. Right? <laughs> it, it, it was just I'd never had seen something like this ever. Right? You, you know, my my parents both worked full time, teacher construction. We lived in a little three bedroom house growing up so it, it wasn't like I, I never was uh seen something like this like money in general just nice things like just wasn't something that i grew up looking at or seeing or even dreaming of because it just wasn't something that you could think was possible and so that yeah i mean it it was it was just like you know then the stress and burden and you're just like all right i don't want to lose anything you got to be careful about what you do with it and it's it's kind of it's it does it does worry you a little bit but i mean when you sign the second contract you're just like you're like holy smokes right <laughs> this, this actually happened and then second you're like okay i gotta i gotta go out and play a hundred times better now right you, you can't be those guys that you hear every every year there's a guy who signs a contract and then a year or two later he's cut or he stinks it up and he's a bust, and you don't want to be labeled that. So you feel like the obligation to the organization, and you know, to represent and to play even better, and to and to lead. And, and now it's the next step of of 
of owning it and being that guy, being the guy on the team where everyone everyone looks to is the staple, right? The top player on the team. So a lot that comes with it, but it, it's it's definitely a surreal moment, man. It's hard to explain the emotions and it changes your life. I mean, no one's no one's denying that. Uh, you do a smart, you hit a second contract, and and you do things right of of being smart with it. You you should never have to work another day in your life when you're done playing. So. It is it is a huge blessing and, and a fortunate situation to be in and and forever thankful and it is it is a weird feeling knowing that uh, your life changes in an instant. Eric, can you talk to me about the evolution of the guaranteed money? Because when I was there, I, I can't even think of a teammate outside of their signing bonus that had guaranteed money. And you've kind of watched the guaranteed money thing has kind of come around. Is that yeah. from agents? Is that like leverage with guys finally committing to it and, and, and expecting like, how did that all come about? Yeah. I mean, my, my, uh, my second contract when I re, re when I was a free agent, my, it was a five-year deal and the first three years were fully guaranteed for injury and skill, wow. which no matter what, you know, that's, that was such a big deal at the time because it was the most, most money for safety, most money in the first three years, fully guaranteed. So no matter what, if I got cut either after the first season, second season, I was going to get that money the first three years, no matter what, which is always the most important as a player. Uh, just in case something happens, a new coach comes in, new system, you don't play as good as you want to play. You get injured. You're still going to get that money. So of that, contract you know a little less than half was fully guaranteed so if i got cut at any point i was at least going to make a little less than half of that which a lot of people see that full contract like oh my gosh they're making 50 million dollars well no i'm only going to make 22 no matter what uh if i play the full five years out then i can make maximize that deal and then as time goes on guys make more money right and you know i signed that deal in 2011 it was an average of eight million per year for a safety well, just last year, we have safeties making almost $15 million a year, which is <laughs> crazy, right? Crazy, crazy to think about that less than nine years later, guys are making almost double of what I made, which was the highest at that point and for a safety, which is great. I mean, that's the you want guys to get paid more and more. And, uh, you know, the guarantee is, is what the player is always looking for because, as you guys know, you can get cut in any moment and you don't see the rest of those years and you don't see that rest of that money. So that's why guys are always trying to maximize as much guaranteed and more guarantees. And then you see the Kirk Cousins deal where, you know, they, he got, he, he was a unique situation where he got franchised twice, which is, you know, top five, uh, average top five money of your position for the franchise year. Then if you get franchised a second time, then it's 125% of your previous salary. So if a guy makes 25 million, he's going to make 30 million the next year. And then if you get franchised a third time, then it's, it's 150% or 147. It's just, it gets crazier and crazier. So teams are like, all right, we don't, we definitely don't want to do that. And he was like, look, I got you by the neck or I got you, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate that. Good job. job. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well done. Well done. (laughs) And, And he says, I want whatever you guys are willing to give me, but I want it all guaranteed. And if you don't want to give it to me, I'll go somewhere else, and you're going to have to rebuild for the next five years, and your guys are going to stink. So he had a he had a great leverage on them to get him give him a full guaranteed deal. And after two years, he re-upped. But 
that's unheard of. And then you got obviously the new deals with Mahomes and you know these crazy ten year deals, twelve, whatever it is. And but it's also smart because after the next couple of years, the, the salary cap's going to go down, but it's going to eventually go back up. And you know he's he's locked in for the next twelve years at a reasonable number. Uh, where five years from now you may see quarterbacks getting forty-five, fifty million a year, which is which is crazy yeah. to think about. Really interesting stuff from Eric Weddle there. He joins uh, the guys every Thursday, uh, by the way, for an hour, and uh, really interesting behind-the-scenes looks at, at how it works. The downside of the franchise tag, of course, is what Dak Prescott is going through. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, as as uh, Eric was talking about his upbringing. Three bedroom house, you know, just sort of a, a everybody's upbringing, right? Uh, it made me, and then he becomes the highest paid safety in the NFL. Made me wonder what Austin would do if all of a sudden he was the highest paid you know, person uh, in his profession. Uh, if Austin know, was his, the next Rush Limbaugh, yeah, what would that uh, pick would, a different name, please? Well, all the people that make the, the most money in radio are all the conservative shock jocks, Austin. He meant producer. <laughs> oh, he did? Yeah. I was thinking bigger. No, no, I meant I meant. You said of my position. In profession. Oh, sorry. Uh, so, you know, I just wondered how you would react to that because your attitude seemed like you're, that might uh, change your I behavior. I donate 100% of it to charity, Gordon. I think Eric should have done the same. In fact, I look down on him for not. No one's laughing. It's supposed to be funny. <laughs> Trying to now think of what I would do. Spend Work it on. hard, folks. That's the moral of the story. Work hard and do the best you can, and you might surprise yourself. I think I'd spend a lot of it really quickly on stuff that doesn't matter, that's only for me. Bubble gum and uh, <laughs> rollerblades. On, so you would just you would you would do what every investment person says not to do. Right, you would right. Bl- blow it all right there. Not only rollerblades, but like diamond studded rollerblades. <laughs> <laughs> it, to, to to your point though, Gordon, that's what I loved about that soundbite. Is I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of those stories that we don't know about. But it's yes. really nice to hear about a guy that I know has done so much good with his time and probably most definitely his money and he's a good person and he came from just humble beginnings average beginnings fought his way got on got his way to the top is definitely in my opinion a hall of famer is was the top paid in his position in the world in the greatest uh league in the world for that sport and he's still just a humble everyday kind of guy that you can just sit down and have a talk and a conversation with or, or go golfing with or, or whatever. And that when he talks about how much time he would donate to, not donate, but spend away from the team each week for his family and for his kids, and still he was at the top of his profession, Eric Weddle, I think, is one of the stories where I'm okay that that guy made millions of dollars. <laughs> You're all right with it? Oh, well, yeah, I agree with you completely, Austin. He, I still resent him. <laughs> he, no, I mean, he, he wanted – he was a big UCLA fan. UCLA didn't want him. I wonder at what point does a guy who grows up that normal, you know, at what point does he realize, oh, my gosh, I've got a lot of talent. It had to be at Utah. He started from his freshman year on and was doing things that were, were remarkable. And so at, it, it must dawn on, it's dawn on him at some point that, hey, I'm really good at this. 
And if I'm really good at this, I'm going to make a whole lot of money. And he has. No doubt. All right. Not Sports Report next. Uh, Ashley Adamson from the Pac-12 Network, top of the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, we have sound, um, sounds of various clips at 5.30, and uh, we'll do Survivor Pool at 5.50. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Check this out. And now your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Oh, my gosh. I've got a lot of talent. I'm so Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280. The Zone is time for the Not Sports Report. Brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? Well, we're going to a couple of different places, but we're honing in on, on one particular subject. Thievery. All right. It wasn't me. Uh, like Thiever. like hundreds of dollars worth of athletic apparel? <laughs> Thievery and smuggling. Okay. So somebody snuck into the San Francisco Zoo and stole an endangered lemur out of the, out of the whatever you call those things. The zoo? The enclosure? Yeah, the enclosure. Good luck fencing the lemur. So, uh, yeah. And that's what they're saying. They're saying, hey, this is an endangered animal that needs special treatment. And somebody stole it. Who steals an animal, a wild animal, out of a zoo? Carmen San Diego. Somebody, yeah, right. That's funny. Somebody's going to sell it for a lot of money. To who? You can't post that on Facebook Marketplace. Oh, there's an underground exotic animal market. <laughs> well, they're cool. It's cool. And it's a cute little animal and whatnot. But my goodness. The, the zoo officials are asking the public to help because this particular lemur is endangered and needs special treatment. So maybe it's, it, maybe it's it. uh, good eating. Jake. <laughs> what? They stole the lemur for their pet Siberian tiger, you're telling no, me? No, 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 no. Maybe it's some sort of delicacy in, in a culture out there, like roast lemur. No. no. Bad, naughty. Tastes like chicken. Gordon. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, and then there's this story out of India. Okay, a smuggler tried to well smuggle two pounds of gold worth like sixty thousand dollars in a unique place as he went through uh, customs officers uh, through the airport in uh, in India. He was flying in from Dubai, and. Uh, you know everything. Everything looked uh, fine until <laughs> until officials, customs officials, noticed this man was walking really kind of funny, and it turned out that he had in excess of two pounds of gold stashed in his derriere. Saw that one coming from a mile away. How much? Two pounds. Over two pounds of gold. And it's not like he was just trying to avoid the 18% tax. So, you know, but I but I wonder about this a little bit. I wonder if he's getting a bum rap. Oh, that was oh, a, such a long way to go to get to that line. Did you write that down? Oh, this is a pain in my butt. <laughs> Austin, would you ever try something like that? What a question. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> How much was it worth? Uh, sixty grand. Yep. I bet. I bet. No, I'm not going to make that joke. Never mind. Full stop. Full stop. Full stop. Yeah, no, that time been. to break. This is happening a lot from people coming from the Middle East or, or hiding gold. Usually they do it in like a chocolate box or a purse or an umbrella or a, a pen or something, you know. And uh, one person tried to smuggle gold hidden in a toothpaste tube. Uh, and another one, according to this report, said they found gold lined in a person's underwear. I, I, you know, I, I just, I can't think of anything that would be worth trying to smuggle in by, <laughs> by, by that means. It's know? expensive being rich. I just, you know, and, and then who has to extract the gold? And what's that process like? A goldologist. <laughs> Moon River. All right, I think we've that was really a productive answer. segment, wasn't it? Yeah, I got no- I got nothing for you, buddy. You're on your own. Uh, Ashley Adamson is coming up next. Sorry, Ashley. Uh, Pac-12 Network. Stay tuned. We'll get her thoughts straight ahead. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.